That's what we are to be. We are to be followers of Jesus Christ. We're to be people who, first and foremost, above any other thing, are committed to walking with him. And as we do that, we're to help other people walk with him as well. That's job number one and job number two for us. And everything else in life should really fall into place underneath those two things. Knowing Christ and making him known. That's how it says it in our mission statement here. A passion to know Christ, commissioned to make him known. Today what I want to do is I want to, I want to talk about part of our plan as we follow God. This is actually lesson number 10. 10 out of 10 in our discipleship series. So this is actually the, the last one, although I am going to have a conclusion sermon next week. But this is lesson 10, number, out of 10 out of 10 as we seek to follow Christ. And today's topic is the church. Now, I can understand that somebody might come into church on a Sunday morning and see that the sermon is on the church and think to themselves, oh boy, that sounds exciting. Two of my favorite things in the world, church and sermons, and sermons on church. Now, please understand me. I'm a pastor, but I know that church may not feel like the most scintillating or exciting thing in your life at all times. I've been to churches before, churches that are boring, churches that are stuffy, churches that feel lifeless. I've been to churches where I didn't like the music. I understand that the thought of church may not be the most positive thought in your mind. In fact, there may be some of you coming in here today with attitudes uh, that church is actually a negative thing. Just maybe from past experiences or from where your heart is at right now. So believe you me, I understand that this idea of, of the church, I, I'm, I'm a pastor, but I don't try to deceive myself in any, in any way. I understand what goes through people's minds as we think about church. Wouldn't it be interesting if we were to go out into the streets of America and have a poll and, and just ask people this question, what comes into your mind as you think about church? <coughs> now hopefully we would run across some people who would give some good answers to that question, but for now I just want to... You know, let our minds dwell on what are some answers that people might give negatively about the church. So the question is, what do you feel about church? Here's a listen. Number one, you might hear people say, church is boring. I would rather sleep in or go fishing or spend time with my family or watch TV or pretty much anything than go to church on Sunday morning. Other people might say, the church is full of hypocrites and judgmental people. Why would I want to go to a place where people are just thinking they're better than I am? Other people might say, church is just man's idea. It was just thought up by people who wanted to suppress people, and now it's run by people who just want your money, or they're trying to stroke their own ego. Or some people might say, if I'm going to go to church, it better be interesting. Do we... It's not too hard to imagine people saying that one. Or the last one here. I love God, I just don't like his children. Now with all those strikes against it, I can understand why so many people don't go to church. In fact, you know the statistics? The national statistics are, if you were to take a freeze frame shot on, on one weekend, you would see that about 19% of Americans go to church on any given weekend. So right now, as we think about across, across America, 19% of Americans are going to church either yesterday or today. It means 81% aren't. 
Now you might think, well, yeah, sure, that's the national average, but here in Minnesota we're probably way better. Well, you're right, we're a little bit better. We're at about 23% in Minnesota. Although Minnesota does lead the nation, one of the three leading states in the nation in one other category, we are leading the nation in terms of declining church attendance here in Minnesota. So we're doing a little bit better than average on how many people come, but we're actually declining faster than almost any other state in the nation. Why are these numbers so low and in decline? Well, the answer, I think we all know it. It's not a, it's, this is not a stunning answer. I think that people all over the world and people in Fergus Falls say, Church? Eh, I don't, I don't think so. All over the world. That's what people are saying about God's plan for the church. What about us? I'm preaching now to people who came here. You're part of that 19%. You're part of that 23%. They came here this morning. What about us? Do we understand the reason for church? And by the way, when I use the word church, I'm not just talking about what we do here on Sunday morning. In some senses, what we're talking about here today is church with a capital C. And what that is, is it's anybody throughout the world who has come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We belong to the church. But then that should get lived out in local expressions like this, like a local church where we come together and meet together. And that would be church with a small c. So really we're talking about both of those today. And they're kind of, you know, it's going to kind of all glob into one sort of thing that we're talking about here. But we're talking about the worldwide church and the local expression of a local church like Cornerstone. Now, the church is a huge part of God's plan for us being disciples. And again, I understand that we could come up with a whole list of reasons. You all probably have your own reasons, too, right, of why you might not want to come to church, why you might not want to be a part of the church. But do we know why we should be part of the church? That's the question I want to ask you today. Do you know why we should be part of the church? So I want to look at a passage today in 1 Peter that shows us some great reasons to be involved in church. Now you can flip there in your Bible. We're going to look at 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. It's also in your bulletin. You might notice that the word church isn't actually used in this passage, but it's pretty clear to me and to the commentators that I read and people I talked to that that's what Peter's talking about. He's talking about the church. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 12. I'm going to read it now. As you come to him, the living stone... Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe that the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or cornerstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I have three points today, and then I'm going to conclude with my big idea. My first point is that the church is God's idea, not man's idea. The church is God's idea, not man's idea. As I said earlier, a lot of people look at church and say, why should I? It's just some group of people. It's just some man-made idea. I've even heard it said that the church was created by people to suppress people. The church was one one way that leaders used to keep people in line. And now it's just a group of people that want to take your money and act the right way. That's what some people say, but that's not at all the picture the Bible gives. Look at verse 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. I want to emphasize the word I. This is God speaking. He says, I lay a stone, a cornerstone. It's Jesus Christ. The church is built on Jesus Christ. It's not built on man's idea. It didn't come into existence because somebody thought, hey, we should all get together and and do some stuff together. The church exists because it's God's idea, built on the very cornerstone of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 16, 18, it's a verse that I don't have time to get into the context of, but it's what Jesus said about the church. He said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I want to emphasize the pronouns in that verse again. Jesus said, I will build my church. And did you notice that Jesus guaranteed success for the whole project? He said, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. So we can get this picture in our minds of the church as being, yeah, it's just something we go to on Sunday morning, or if you have a negative view, you can say it's just kind of man's idea. But the Bible teaches us that it's God's idea, and he has promised that it will succeed, and the gates of hell won't overcome it. Now, yes, it's run by human leaders, and yes, sometimes those leaders steer it off course, but overall, it's God's plan, and he has promised its success. Now, our local church here in Burgess is called Cornerstone Church. The reason that we call ourselves Cornerstone, at least I, I think this is the reason, I wasn't here when they were naming it, but I think the reason is because we wanted to make sure that we were building on Jesus Christ. It can be easy when a group of people get together for that group of people to come up with their own ideas and to say, I think we should do it this way and this way and this way. But the church is God's idea. He has his plans for it, and we here at Cornerstone Church want to follow those plans. That's why we're called Cornerstone, because we want to keep building on Jesus Christ. There's something vitally important about building on Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 6, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So we need to figure out from the get-go who we're building on. And at Cornerstone, we build on Jesus. Verses 6 to 8 in this passage make it clear that there's a choice. Some believe in Jesus, and some don't. And the results couldn't be more important, because those who reject Jesus, it says that they will stumble and fall. But for those who receive Jesus, we are built into something grand. Verse 5 tells us what we're built into. It says that we are being built into a spiritual house. Now that language of spiritual house is meant to remind us of the Old Testament concept of the temple. 
The temple was the place where God met with his people. Any religion, it's that way. A temple is a place you go to meet with God. And, and that's what, in Christianity, the one true religion, that's what it is. The temple was the place where God chose in the Old Testament to meet with his people. Think about that. The God of the universe looking down on mankind, and we know that God loves us and has good plans for us. And God, in his mercy, said to the people in the Old Testament, okay, you want to know me? You want to meet with me? You can do it here at the temple. That's what the temple was in the Old Testament, the place where, where people could come into the very presence of God to learn from him and to be his people. There's another major link to the Old Testament here in verse 9 of our passage. The phrases royal priesthood and holy nation are phrases that are taken word for word from Exodus 19. Now, I know that you all have memories like steel traps here, so you'll remember clearly, I'm sure, that about four months ago as I preached through Exodus 19 that I warned you that I was going to preach on this passage. But I want you to see this connection because I think it's actually a really important one. Remember what God was doing in Exodus. The, The people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt. They couldn't get themselves out. They were there for about 400 years. And finally, God in his mercy said, okay, I'm getting you guys out of there. And through all those wonderful miracles, those signs of God's power, he brought them out, brought them towards the promised land. And as he was doing that, he revealed himself to his people. He called them to himself and he said, I will make you into a royal priesthood and a holy nation. But in the Old Testament, there were limitations. Because in the Old Testament, it all centered around that physical temple. God met with his people, but it happened at that one place predominantly. And, and people could go and meet with God, but really there were limitations there as well because it was only the priests who could enter into the, the inner parts of the temple and it was only the high priest and only once a year who could enter into the Holy of Holies. So there were limitations set up. But what Peter is now saying is he uses this exact same language, calling us a temple, calling us a holy priesthood and a holy nation. What he's saying is that we can now meet with God. We are the place that God now meets with us. It's not a building, it's not a meeting, it is a people. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty strong, pretty amazing truth, I think, that we are now the temple. And I want you to keep your eyes open as you read through your Bible, see how important the temple it is, how important the temple is, and how amazing it is that we are the temple. So don't miss this point. God is building something. It's not a physical building. It's a spiritual house, the church, where we meet with God. It's founded on Jesus, and we, according to verse 9, become the chosen people, and we become the people of God. There's this repeated verse in the Bible. I think it's, it's something like, oh, I don't somewhere around 22 times in the Bible, where it says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. And it's finding fulfillment right here, right now, as we read this passage that says that now you are the people of God. As we come to him, we are built into the church. Now it says in verse 8 that some people will reject this. They will disobey the message. And in doing so, they set themselves outside of God's presence. But for those of us who come to Jesus, we become part of something much bigger than we would ever realize. 
That's what the church is. It's a spiritual building through which God now meets with his people. Too often we think of church merely as a building. Like you point to the bricks and stones and say, I go to that church. Or too often we think of it as a meeting. But really what the church is, is a people. And if we're talking about the church as a capital C, it's all people who have come to know Jesus Christ. And if we're talking about the church with a little C, we're talking about the local expression of that. What we're doing right here is we are living out our nature as the church. We are the church. We are the people of God. We meet with God as we come together and worship. So what are we to do with this truth? I want to give you two application points here under our first point. The first is that we need to realize that we need to come to Christ. It starts off there, as you come to him. If you have not yet received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you don't belong to the church. Yeah, you might come to church on a Sunday morning, but coming to church, coming to a church service doesn't mean you belong to Christ. Coming to Christ is how you come to Christ. Receiving him as Savior and Lord. We receive him by giving our lives to him, by realizing that we are sinners, we need to be forgiven by giving our lives to him, giving control of our lives to him to know him as Lord. And as we do that, we are grafted in then to the church, into God's plan. Now at Cornerstone Church, one of our requirements for becoming a member is that you profess faith in Jesus Christ. Now don't misunderstand me. Anybody is welcome to come and check us out for a while. If somebody wants to come to Cornerstone Church, and I hope this happens, I hope that people come here saying, I want to learn more about who God is. I don't know him yet. not sure about this Jesus guy, but I want to learn more. People are welcome to come here and check him out. But membership at Cornerstone is only for those who have decided that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and have given their lives to him. Because you can't be a part of the worldwide church without receiving Jesus Christ. So we just say, Cornerstone Church, eventually you're going to have to decide. And if you reject him, you can't be a member here. So yes, there's time to decide, but eventually you need to decide. And the right decision is that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. So, first of all, you need to come to Jesus Christ. But then also, the the second application point is that we continually need to come to Jesus Christ. Verse 4 could be translated, as you continue to come to him. So it's not just talking about that time when we first came to know Jesus. It's talking about how we continually enter into his presence and worship him and pray and praise him and do the things that he's called us to do. And as we do that, as we continue to come to him, God builds us up. He strengthens us. That's how God builds his church as we continue to come to him. So this passage makes, makes a sharp distinction between those who belong to Jesus and those who don't. So which one will it be for you? My first point is that the church is God's idea, not man's idea. My second point here is that the church is alive. The church is alive. Now that might seem like a strange word for some people. You know, fill in the blank. The church is alive, really? Some people might rather fill in that blank with something like a snooze fest. Now, I understand. Listen, I I have been to plenty of places on Sunday morning where it was boring and stuffy and I felt kind of lifeless. I have even looked around here at Cornerstone Church and seen some people nodding off during the sermon. Now, uh, 
I can't be too hard on you because far more often than I would like to admit, I fell asleep in some of my college classes. So I understand that we get tired sometimes. And, and again, maybe church doesn't feel like the most scintillating thing to you at every moment of your life. But the church is alive. Verse 4 talks about Jesus as the living stone. It's not hard to understand why he's the living stone. He's the cornerstone, hence the stone part. And he's alive. Yes, he died, but he rose again from the dead, and he now lives forever. He is the living stone. But the amazing part of this passage is it goes on to say that you too are living stones. It's the same exact word, just the plural form of it. What Jesus is, the, the living stone, you also are living stones being built into a spiritual house. The word picture is a building built with stones that are alive. And it's hard to imagine that, isn't it? What, what does that look like? I mean, are these stones just kind of like blobbing around and they kind of form this stone? Well, it's hard for us to imagine because we're not talking about a physical building here. We're talking about a spiritual building. We're talking about the church, the body of Christ. And it's not a meeting it's not people, um, excuse me, it is people. It, it's not a meeting, it's people. It's the people of God in fellowship with God, in fellowship with each other. That is what the church is. And it's interesting, not only are we the temple, but we're also the priests. So try to figure out how that works. With the, you know, if you're thinking of a physical building, we're the living stones, we're the temple, and we're the priests. It only works if you're talking about spiritual concepts here. And, and that's the truth of it. We're the temple. We're the priests. Church isn't meant to be some boring, stagnant thing. It's meant to be a living organism. And our life in that, our vitality, comes as we're connected to Jesus. As we continually come to him, God fills us with life. Perhaps we carry around with us this idea that the church is just a place of ritual. Or maybe just a place where you come and sing some songs and listen to a sermon. But in reality, the church is God's plan for us to meet with him. And part of that plan is that we would get together and help each other grow in our faith. So again, the church is not a building. It's not a meeting. It's not a club. And, and we here at Cornerstone, we actually have a little bit of an, an advantage in knowing that because we know that the church isn't a YMCA, right? The church is not a YMCA. The church is people. And even as we're in, this, in the, the phases of a potential building project here, we understand that if we move and go to a building, that that building will not be the church. That building, if anything, will be a ministry center, and we will be the church. We meet here now, but when we, if we meet over there, we'll be the church over there. And we are to be the church really wherever we go as we keep our fellowship with God and our fellowship with each other. As we continue to draw near to him, he fills us and leads us into what the Bible calls abundant life. In John 10.10, 10, it says that Jesus came to give abundant life. I just looked up that word abundant again this week, and it's a word that means more than you would have expected. Did you know that? That Jesus wants to give you life more than you would have even imagined as you come to him. How does that happen? It happens as we fill out our role in the church. So again, people have this negative attitude towards church, but God has wonderful plans for the church. 
So, so many people stay home from church on Sunday, and, and even more sadly, they stay away from the church. But God wants to give us life, and we get that life as we come to him, as we live out our plans, his plans for us. Okay, then my third point here. We are to be participants, not spectators, in church. We are to be participants, not spectators, in church. Let me start off with a story here on this one. Over the July 4th holiday, our family went up to Christine's family farm place in North Dakota. They, they kept the farmhouse there, and, and the whole side of that family congregates there, about 27 people, I think it was. And, and we got there kind of late on Tuesday night, and by the time we got the kids in bed and got settled and, of course, had a snack or two, um, it was about time for me to consider whether I was going to go to bed or stay up. It was about 11 o'clock at night, and Christine's sister and brother-in-law were going to be coming in at about 1 o'clock. I'm like, well, do I stay and wait for them and greet them, or do I go to bed? And as I was noticing, you know, thinking about that question, Christine's dad had turned on a movie, the movie Rudy. So started at 11 o'clock and was going until 1. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll watch some of this movie. And you know how it goes. I got sucked in. I ended up watching the whole thing. I thought I was going to maybe go to bed at midnight or something, but I watched the whole thing. And for those of you that don't know what the movie Rudy is, it's a story about a guy who's way too small to play football at Notre Dame. He had pretty good success as a high school football player, and his family just loved Notre Dame football. It was like what their life revolved around. They just talked about it all the time. They watched every game. They loved Notre Dame football. It was Rudy's dream to make the Notre Dame football team. But he was too small to do it. There's a line in there. You're five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing. What do you think you're going to make this team? But Rudy worked hard at it. And there were obstacles. The first obstacle was getting into Notre Dame, and there were obstacles of finances, how he's going to pay for it. And then if he crossed those, he had to figure out some way to actually make the team. But it, as the movie goes, he, he goes to the tryouts, and he works harder than anybody else because he is so enamored with Notre Dame football. He so deeply wants to be a part of that team, to walk out on that field with a uniform on. And he ends up at these tryouts impressing one of the coaches. And the other coaches are kind of looking at him like, really, that guy, are you sure? And the coach, yeah, he works harder than anybody else. I want him on the team. So he, he kind of makes the team. But there's two levels of the team. The, the first 60 people who make the team are the ones who get to dress. They're the ones who get to go out on the field and wear the uniform. The next, like, 35 people on the team are just on the practice team. And it's their job to get beat up by the first team in practice every day. And, and the coach who put Rudy on the team said, now, Rudy, that effort that you gave in that one day of practice, I want to see you give that for the next five months or you're off the team. But Rudy was so excited at the possibility of being on this team that he gave us all for that whole five months, that whole year, and the next year. But he never got to... Never got to dress, never got to dress, never got to dress for one of the actual games. And then finally, in this touching story that, I'm, again, I'm watching with my father-in-law and trying not to cry. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're tough guys. Talk about football. The other people on the team finally demand that Rudy gets to dress for one of the games. And he gets to dress for their last home game of the season. And he gets in on the very last couple of plays and makes the last tackle of the game and gets carried off the field. And the whole point of the movie is that it is so much better to be on the team than to sit at home watching. There is no comparison sitting at home with a remote control or actually being part of what is going on. 
Yet so many people treat church like it's a movie. Think about that. How many times have you left church saying, oh, I didn't really like those songs, or boy, was that sermon long. Now, I don't want to be crass as I say this, but you know what goes through my mind sometimes as people say, I didn't really like that song? Sometimes I think, that's okay. It wasn't for you. It was for God. Now, yeah, we don't want to have bad songs here. We, we hope that you, you like the music. This, but the music has a purpose here. The music is meant for us to worship God. It's meant to teach us things about God. And we're not here just to entertain you. If you want to be entertained by music, I suggest you buy a CD. But if you want to come and worship God, I suggest that you come and participate in what we're doing here. Too often we go to church as consumers. Consumers ask, how will this benefit me? If you're going to a restaurant, you're asking questions like, do I like the food here? Do I like the atmosphere? Are the prices okay? Is this a place that I could see myself coming back to again? But we are not to come to church as consumers. We are to come to church as worshipers, as people who enter into the very presence of God, like it says in Hebrews 10. One of the main jobs of every one of us who is a part of the church is to worship God. Why do I say that? Well, in verse 5, where we see that we are a holy priesthood, we see that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. And in verse 9, where we're called a royal priesthood, we see that we are to declare the praises of him who called us. In the Old Testament, priests were given a job to do in the temple. The priest might be given a job, like, your job is to prepare the animal sacrifices. Or another priest, their job might be to sing. But whatever it was, they were to do that job in service to the king of kings. That was their worship. That was their job. And now Peter tells us that we are priests and that we have been given jobs to do. And specifically in here it says that there are two jobs for us to do. To offer sacrifices and to declare God's praises. So what does it mean to offer sacrifices? Well, the theologian Wayne Grudem says that our sacrifices are really anything that we do in service to God. So anything that you do, not just here on Sunday morning, but throughout your life, anything you do to serve God or to serve other people in Christ's name is part of your worship. It's part of your job. The Bible elsewhere describes these spiritual sacrifices as what we do with our lips. We praise God. So it's with our bodies, with our lips, serving God, praising Him. Think about that. When you come here and when you join in singing songs, you're not just singing, you're actually living out your role as a priest, offering spiritual sacrifices. Now that's similar to what it says in verse 9 where we see that we are to declare the praises of God. Now when I read that verse, I thought, okay, we're to, to, to declare God's praises. To whom are we to declare them? And there are really three answers to that question and, and they each show us a different part of our job as priests. The first person to whom we are to, to declare God's praises is back to God himself. When we thank him, for who he is, for praise him for what he's done for us. We're living out our job as priests by worshiping him. Secondly, we are to declare God's praises to each other, to our fellow believers. We're to teach each other what the Bible says. We're to share with each other what we're learning about God. We're to have Christ-centered fellowship, and as we do those things, we're living out our job as priests by having fellowship, by teaching. And then third, we're to declare God's praises to those who don't yet know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 
That's called evangelism. The Bible teaches us that God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we are to declare God's praises, to, to tell other people the wonderful things about who God is so that they might come to know him and become worshipers of him as well. That's why it says in verse 12 that we're supposed to live the right kind of lives in the presence of the pagans so that they might glorify God, that they might come to know him. So declaring God's praises is one of our high calling, highest callings in life, really. It's the job that we were created for. And I think that this is cool. Church isn't just something then that you come to and watch. Church is something that you actively participate in as worshipers. Even as you sit here right now listening to a sermon, you are to be taught by God so you can fulfill your role as priest. And you're to worship him in your heart even as you're listening to the words I'm speaking. If church is something you actively participate in, then it has a whole new meaning. I hope you don't just come here to watch other people sing or even just to listen to a sermon. I hope you don't leave here asking yourself whether the service met your expectations. It can be so easy to do that. Well, yeah, I don't really like that song. And, you know, I can imagine you know, on a car ride home talking about the things that you didn't like about church. But that's the wrong attitude for us to be having because the attitude that we should have here is that, God, we want to worship you and learn from you. We deeply desire, God, that you would lead us into this abundant life that you have for us. So we come together here to say those things to God and to submit ourselves to him, offering spiritual sacrifices. So my big idea, and it's not much of a shock at this point, is that church is a large part of God's plan for you. Church is a large part of God's plan for you. According to verses 7 and 8, some people won't see the value of being part of the church. Some people will reject Jesus and his plan. For some reason, they are content to live their lives on the sidelines, not embracing what God has for them. But if you really understand what verses 4 and 5 are saying, if you really understood that God is building you as part of this spiritual house, you would be eager to come together with other people and worship him and learn from him. <coughs> so what I want you to take away from this sermon is a renewed sense of passion for being actively involved, involved in God's church. Now, on one sense, that means the worldwide church, and that means that anything that we do in service to God is what we do in the church. But it also should get lived out on the local level. It should get lived out as we connect ourselves, as we make intentional decisions to be a part of a local church, like this one. To be actively involved in the ministries of what we're doing. And, and I heard one person, I won't say who it was, but the person's attitude was, and, and this is a, a fantastic attitude to have to say, if the leadership of our church is doing something and they think it's good for us, then I should probably be part of that. Because again, here at Cornerstone, we're not doing things just because we think it sounds cool, because we have an idea. We do what we do because we want to build on Jesus Christ. And if we take a step back from this and look at it from a wider view, we could ask ourselves the question, what kind of a disciple, what kind of a follower of Christ do I want to be in 10 years? And hopefully your answer is that you want to be walking even more closely with him in 10 years than you are right now. And if that's the case, I highly suggest that you be actively involved in church because it's a major part of God's plan for you. 
as we continually come to Jesus, living, our, living out our part as priests and offering spiritual sacrifices, God will build us up. He has promised that he will do it. He'll keep his promise and he'll give abundant life to those who seek him. So church is a large part of God's plan for you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you again for your wisdom and for your plan. And God, we can, if we're honest with ourselves, we can easily have an attitude towards church where we say, I I don't know if I need that or I don't know if I'm real excited about being part of that. But God, I pray that you would train us to see church from your perspective. That we would humbly and gratefully walk into what you have for us. That we would be eager to grow in our faith as we do our part in the church, as we live out our roles as priests, offering spiritual sacrifices and and declaring your praises. God, you are worthy to be praised and I pray that we would praise you by doing our part in church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just like for all the other lessons, there's a a study guide on the back table for you. I encourage you to pick it up and go through it with somebody. And again, I said this before, but I don't expect that all of you would be all the way done with this series this week. I I realize that life gets in the way and it's hard to get together with people. But even if it takes you a year, I'd recommend that you go through these studies. I've got them. I can email them all to you if you want them. But I encourage you to go through these studies with somebody because you will grow as a disciple and you will grow as a disciple maker as you do those sorts of things. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here now and we're going to close